Now, you might have got uh, one of the more bewildering breaking news push alerts to your phone this week uh, concerning a man who died 418 years ago. Uh, the tweets were about, uh, and everything else, they're about Red Hugh O'Donnell, who has propelled himself back into the news cycle, not only here, but in Spain as well, because archaeologists in the city of Valladolid in Spain are hopeful that they may find some of his bones in the weeks ahead. And it's news which, of course, will be uh, a welcome distraction for those in Valladolid, and it'll be news that's followed especially closely in Donegal. And Donald Fallon is on the line to tell us all about it. Afternoon, Donald. How are Good you? to be here. Uh, this was one of the most bewildering breaks news alerts I think I've gotten on my phone in the quite a while and imagine maybe similar for yourself as well yeah it is a curious thing when your phone beeps and it's the Irish Times you know bringing you the latest news on a man who's dead four centuries <laughs> and I think the name of Red Hugh O'Donnell has remained legendary in, in, in more ways than one you know even if his actions and, and time frame can be lost I think that name is so iconic that it brings to mind you know the likes of, of, of a kind of Cucullin character mm. more in the world of mythology and folklore than reality but Red Hugh O'Donnell lived he was very real he lived you know, in the early 17th century, which isn't the distant past. I mean, to put it in context, this man died some eight years after the foundation uh, of Trinity College Dublin. But, you know, for reasons now uh, in Spain, he is back at the top of the news cycle here. Uh, why does he hold such a central place in Donegal and Ulster sort of collective memory? Well, I suppose the barometer of recognition in Ireland is two things, you know, statues and GAA clubs named in your honour. And he has both <laughs> of those things. And together with you, O'Neill, his, his father-in-law, the Earl of Tyrone, I think Red Hugh O'Donnell kind of, he, he spearheads Irish resistance to English rule uh, in the nine year the nine years war that began in 1593 one of the great kind of English military engagements of the Elizabethan age and culminated as unfortunately these things often did for us uh, in a crushing kind of Irish military defeat the siege of Kinsale and then the exodus of the kind of the leading Irish Ulster families and leaders which kind of paved the way if you will then for the plantation of Ulster which still shapes the Ireland that we live in today mm. and I think you know in in kind of popular collective memory is the embodiment of kind of Ulster resistance to English rule. There was no sense of nationalism then. I mean, that, that, that was a later invention, I suppose, but the, no coherent understanding of national mm. identity. Politics and political allegiance was all deeply local. It was even tribal. But I think his story has endured because it has all the key ingredients of a great Irish tale. There's resistance, there's heroism, there's bravery. You know, famously escapes from Dublin Castle in January 1592 uh, before continuing his campaign. And now 300 years later, 400 years now, but 300 years later, so a century ago during the revolutionary period, he was one of those great stories, you know, that was central to, to shaping young minds and the Gaelic revival and the early stages of the revolution. So his story kind of has lingered, you know, and has inspired the generation since. Uh, this is very early in the slot to be going off on a tangent, but you said that like nationalism didn't exist at the time. Uh, why was it then that the, the English forces were so keen to try and have for the first time the entire island of Ireland under Elizabethan rule? Like, why did it matter that much that they had the whole island if there was no sense of sort of collective nationality? I suppose it was about political stability, you know, as it often is, and, and the various kind of regional players like the O'Neills and, and the and the O'Donnells who you know, just held too much power uh, in Ulster, the local leaders, if you will, and the belief that you know, the, the, the island had to be cemented behind one central, okay. powerful political force. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so... Um... 1602 happens and the entire island is now under English rule for the first time. Uh, why Spain? Why did so many of them end up in Spain particularly? So in the aftermath of this crushing defeat at Kinsale, Red Yo O'Donnell leaves for Spain. And it's not, un it's not uncommon. Spain is the major Catholic 
European power. It's thus the major political ally. And, you know, Ireland's allies through history have shifted. You know, uh, basically, anyone who's putting it up to England is an ally. So from Catholic Spanish monarchists. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing about your to, enemy's enemy. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Napoleonic France. You know, we would, we would sit down to dinner with just about anyone providing they're at war uh, with Britain. And it's been much the same thinking in every generation. And I think O'Donnell wanted to get military intervention from the Spanish king, Philip II, for an invasion of Ireland to break the, the English grip. But he failed to do that. He dies in Spain. And, you know, some historical accounts suggest that he's poisoned uh, by a spy. That's been disputed. Others say he might have died of fever, complications relating to a kind of very daring life. A lot of it lived outdoors Mm. uh, and in rough terrain. But what isn't disputed uh, is where he died. Now, uh, and he died in in Valladolid, which is a relatively small city even today. So it must have been a fairly small place then around the time that he would have snuffed it. Via the lead, I'm glad you had to pronounce it before I did uh, this morning. It's, it's, a, it's a place that many Irish listeners are probably unfamiliar with. Population Honestly, just I, over. I only know the name of it from watching La Liga games. I'll be totally honest. <laughs> Real Valladolid, of course, yeah. of course. A population just over 300,000 people. So the northwestern region of Spain, which is a serious wine country. And I suppose the, the city is probably more famous for being the place where Christopher Columbus, the famed navigator, uh, lived out his, his final years. But, you know, Spain is continuing its its battle and Spain is making a, a, a good recovery slowly but surely from the current pandemic. Mm. And, you know, I think that may be a factor in this news story that basically anything else is being propelled to the top uh, of, of the news. Sure. So this Spanish city is now making headlines for, for other reasons uh, entirely and this really curious uh, archaeological dig. And, you know, at the time of his passing, we know that his remains were left with a Franciscan chapel, which is long since gone. And now they're digging and digging on uh, Constitution Street in, in, in the heart of the city. And on Friday, they had this great breakthrough. They discovered human remains, part of a skull uh, and a femur. And to make matters really interesting, some are now contending that this may actually also be the final resting place of Christopher Columbus, which has always been disputed. Mm. So the archaeologists are kind of saying, you know, if the research is good, both of these significant figures are, quote, buried right under our feet. So th- there's a fair chance that in, in going looking for Red Hugh, they could actually end up finding the remains of Columbus, which I, I presume up till now haven't been quite properly identified or they haven't managed to, to snuff them out either. Absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 remains are claimed to be in a couple of places. So, I mean, if they find them both, that would be a, an enormous draw for, for tourism, one would think too. Yeah. But there's been a massive kind of renewed interest in the regional press in that area. Sure. And the way they're describing him is very romantic. I mean, he was described in one local paper as an Irish prince and the hero of the resistance against the English. And Ronan McCreevy, a great journalist of the Irish Times, kind mm. of like the, the, the resident history correspondent of the Irish Times now, he had a lovely little bit of colour in his report that one of the councillors in the city posted a shamrock emoji on Twitter on Friday and the words, we are close. Um, I suppose, uh, I mentioned in passing sort of Richard III and how they discovered him in, in Leicester a couple of years ago. And, and part of, of what made that so amusing is that now there's been this massive surge of tourism to Leicester because people want to see where this king was buried. Is there a similar chance that um, Valladolid is capitalising on this because they want I, people to go looking for, you know, the, the final resting place of Red Hugh in years well, to come? You know, if anyone is, is having a, 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 a great panic at the moment, obviously it's the aviation industry and tourism isn't too far behind. Those things are deeply interconnected. So I think amidst the pandemic, you know, as we all look forward to tourism, I think that the city is probably trying to capitalise on it. And I mean, in a, in a statement, they said that these two characters of such relevance to the world, as in the case of Columbus and to relations between Spain and Ireland against the common enemy, England, demonstrate uh, the importance of the city for centuries. So it might be a grab for the Irish tourists, for the, the, the Donegal punt, if you will. But, you know, it does raise the very interesting question that if this is Red U O'Donnell, 
will he remain there or will there be, you know, some kind of attempt to return the remains to, to Ulster? And they're, they're arguing it may be easy enough to identify him because he lost both of his big toes to frostbite after his daring, <laughs> his daring escape from Dublin Castle. So if they find a, a, an, an imperfect skeleton, it may be some clue that, it, that it's red. You. Yeah, if it's missing, it's two big toes. Uh, that's, it's remarkable, <laughs> actually. You know, it's amazing. People always say that your big toe is supposed to be so important to like your, your stability and your balance and everything that he managed still managed to flee having lost <laughs> the two things that are supposed to give him the most stability. Fair play to him. Remarkable. Um, <laughs> we, th- this all sounds a little bit like uh, a slot that we discussed on, the, on this uh, part of the show a little while back about uh, James Joyce and some question marks around his remains. Yeah, earlier this year, it seemed the only thing we had to worry about was the dead, didn't it? Between like commemorating the Black and Tans and, and James Joyce's <laughs> body, life, life God, was much easier. the Black easier. and Tans thing was only Gen- four months ago. Isn't that January mad? To, January 2020 feels like a different world in, entirely, but listeners probably remember this just before um, the, the COVID world. There was this great debate around Joyce and some Dublin city councillors are arguing that we should bring him back to Ireland before the centenary of, of the publication of, of Ulysses, which is creeping up on us very fast, 2022. But I would always say, you know, Joyce died in a kind of self-imposed exile. Joyce made the decision to leave Ireland. And this is kind of, this is different. So comparisons will be drawn between these. But I think the better comparison definitely is, is Richard III, the last English king killed in battle, body recovered in a Leicester City Council car park mm. before being reinterned at Leicester Cathedral. And there was, as you say, an enormous boost for Leicester uh, in all of that. So I've no doubt that some county councillors uh, in Donegal are, are paying very close attention to how this story unfolds. Well, the other thing that you could pay attention to is that Richard III was discovered during the season where Leicester City very unlikely and improbably <laughs> won the English Premier League. So maybe there's a chance of Donegal claiming Sam Maguire and only the Dublin dominance. Uh, all things go well. Uh, we should know more fairly soon, though, about the state of the current dig. Absolutely. I mean, the story is, is widely reported on here. And it's very rare, actually, in, in, in the Irish press to think that something uh, gets such prominent position in the red tops uh, and in the broadsheets, but it's, it's managed to do that, and especially the regional press in Ulster, who are already very, very excited. So, I mean, the next week or two, the archaeologists are saying we should have a better idea uh, if Reggie O'Donnell has been found. And and whether, in fact, there might be any prospect of him making his way back north again. Uh, fa- fa- <laughs> I, I say it every week that it's fascinating stuff, but it genuinely really is extraordinary stuff. Um, well, as long as the, the news headlines is, has dictated this slot for the last while, and it just seems something, something stranger and stranger relating to history is happening every week. Well, as you say, getting a push alert about a guy who died <laughs> 418 years ago was pretty remarkable anyway so long may they continue uh, Donald Fallon is a historian he is the author of the Community Me books and he's the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast which you can find online Donald as ever uh, thank you very much